Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves the experience of cracking them open, or you just love the convenience of no-shells pistachios, wonderful pistachios is the perfect healthy snack when hunger strikes. I happen to love me my pistachios. Uh, I don't want to screw around with the nuts, so I love the no-shells pistachios. Anyway, there are a bunch of flavors to choose from, like honey roasted, smoky barbecue, jalapeno, lime, and more. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts, and each ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile, and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Literally, $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mr. Carvey, <laughs> has our conversation started? Would you have things you want to say to me offline that you're scared to say to the public? Not necessarily. I just want to say that in terms of my hair color on my chin, mm, yes, well, I reserve the right to do anything I want with my hair based on older rock stars who I admire. Like Ringo Starr is encased in chocolate brown hair. And so why should I be Santa Claus on the chin? 100%. (laughs) Hey, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Literally. Um, It is my extreme pleasure today to have, look, I've, I've worked with a lot of funny people, but I've never worked with someone funny where I look in their eyes and realize that they would eviscerate my human flesh for a laugh. Um, There's a phrase people use about comedy killer and people can talk about who's funnier than who and whatever, but in terms of killer and killing and onstage comedy violence, it's Dana fucking Carvey, hands down. And I cannot wait to literally see what he has to say for himself. The first time I hosted, mm-hmm. you I always tell people getting on uh, in live television with Dana Carvey is like going into the ring with a like a, a, a tiger. 
like you don't you don't want to look in your eyes on live television. You're like about to be fucking eaten alive. It's like people used to say, <laughs> you know, doing a duet with Judy Garland. You would she would just fucking maul you. And um, oh, she she was a badass. She's a badass. Okay, good. You get yeah, it. You yeah. get the analogy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember vividly when we did Church Lady, looking over yes. at you and going, "Oh, he wants to kill me. He wants to. He <laughs> would. He would kill me. He would kill me for a laugh, without even thinking twice." I try to play fair, though. I don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, you would play fair. The other, the other time I, I saw that look in your eye is, do you remember in Wayne's World when we did this scene, which makes no sense at all, where I come down in the basement and you're building like a robotical oh, yeah. hand? Yes, and I remember you saying that was one of your favorite scenes. That was very flattering. And yes, I do. And I, I have no excuse for it. It's just, should we tell the story? Yes, we should tell the story. So, so Rob famously, was in Wayne's World 1. Being the character Garth, I inserted this weird little sketch where I was working and making a mechanical hand. And the subtext for me, which was never explained, because Mike is brilliantly always clear with his jokes. Like, you know, he really is able to, and he's he's an engineer, he's a scientist at it. And I kind of do these flights of fancy. So it didn't really make sense. But anyway, I make this mechanical hand the nemesis, Rob, comes in, the guy who I'm trying thinking of strangling with the mechanical hand. And then you said, what, Garth, what are you up to? Or something like that. I had some <laughs> stupid hat on or with some big helmet or something. I don't know if I like that. But then the hand started to move once you came in. And then I just smashed the shit out of it with a hammer. <laughs> and sometimes it would sort of lay there at the previews because the audience was like, what? Right. But then I do remember Lauren coming in late in the process of vetting the film. And there was two sides, stay in or stay out. And Lauren said, it's one of those things that you'll, you'll see 20 years from now and you'll be happy that it's there. <laughs> so, so that's why it stayed in. Yeah. Very Lauren, right? You'll be happy it's there. Not only is your Lauren brilliant, but you know he said that. That's absolutely oh, yeah. something he would say. Oh, I love I love inhabiting Lorne and Dennis Miller. There's certain people that are really fun to be inside that rhythm, you know. Your Dennis has always is always been great. Christ sex, but the quiet Dennis. Right? Things aren't really happening, okay? Halting. Christ sakes, doing a pod thing with the low cat. <laughs> Give me a topic. Just any topic. Um day uh let's see. Let's let's do. I like your Doctor Blix. Let's. What would Dana say about Doctor Blix? Jeez, Blixing. Okay, I got to keep track of all those scars every day. You might be a do a redo once in a while, so we don't have to do the math of this has two flamingos in it instead of seven. Okay, first <laughs> I got enough on my plate. Shot, shot. <laughs> so I love just putting. It's like a sausage bag. Same thing with Laura. You just get it to anything, and you can just put it through, and you know how they'd say it. That's why it's really fun. Dennis's nickname for me, it was Sky Lolo. <laughs> and Sky Lolo was a, apparently a a wrestler in the 50s. I Googled it. It's true. Uh, um, I'm glad that nickname didn't take. Um, <laughs> that was the first shot anybody ever had at giving me a proper nickname. I've never really had one in my career. Hmm. But um, Amy hmm. Poehler was the one who finally got a nickname for me that's sort of taken on a life, and that's Rolo. And she's like, how's no one ever called you Rolo? Hmm, that is clever. Yeah, Rolo's good, isn't it? Yeah, Rolo, low cat. Low cat, yeah, what else would you, what else you got for me? Okay, Dennis Miller low trying cat. to figure out names for me. 
Jesus Christ, you got two syllables there. Not a lot of work with there. Rob Lowe. <laughs> Lowe's like a tough nut to crack in many ways. All right? Okay, crack. Okay. He looks like he's uh, in junior college, all right? Cal State Stanislaus, okay? Jesus Christ. Dorian Gray, what happened here, all right? I want to meet his dermatologist, okay? Once the teeth were any whiter, you know, the people would be suing him for blindness, okay? What do I... Anyway. <laughs> he's the best. What? I saw uh, your most recent... Uh oeuvre was a, a great version of Dr. Fauci. And I thought, mm-hmm. I thought if just for a minute Dr. I could, because I have a lot of questions for that motherfucker, actually. Yeah. And, I, and I say motherfucker in the best possible way. He's clearly knows yes. what he's doing. He's clearly a yeah. selfless guy who's devoted his life to, to, mm-hmm. to science and been a tremendous help. But he is the harbinger of terrible news. I just would love for one day to have him say something <laughs> that makes me feel good. Well, he's very raspy, more than you think, because you want to go gravelly. But it's more raspy. What we're going to do with the COVID-19 experience, we're going to take all the the exotic animals from the wet markets all over the world, the bats, the skunks, the rats, the platypuses and the anteaters and what have you. We're going to put them in the sickest, sickest hotel one night only. And we're going to put on a benefit for COVID-19. We've got Lance Burton and Chris Angel. We'll train these exotic animals and we'll put on quite a show in the clown room. It's 1,800 seats. We'll social distance. The anteater, I understand, will wear a dress. And uh, they don't wear dresses. And they, that, that's the comedy of it all. You, you'll see a bat in a tuxedo. You'll see a skunk. <laughs> singing and it's not normal and that is where the comedy is i understand dr <laughs> burks will be selling his scarves in the foyer dr books specialized scarves eighty nine thousand dollars a scarf for covid19 too much you say how much would lincoln's top hat go for <laughs> 17 million it's an investment the tiger king guy has agreed to be uh, in a freak show. <laughs> he was resistant. Trump's going to pardon him. He was resistant. We had him look at Amir, and he agreed to appear in a, in a kind of a tent <laughs> where you can go in and point at the Tiger King guy. I'm Anthony Fucci, and you know what? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I just feel like in his brain, he's like a really tough guy. You know how tough he is. Yeah. be 40 years surviving his basketball team. He was 5'2", and he dominated. Yeah. I figure at the end of everything, in his mind, every speech, we're finding the flattening of the curve, and from the bottom of my heart, go fuck yourself. Oh, for sure. He's like, do you know how many horrible diseases have tried to take me down? <laughs> There's all kinds of viruses, STDs, microorganisms, bacteria. They get in you. They get in you. <laughs> I also like when your your Anthony Fauci is describing what's funny is really great. That will be the comedy. That is, you're right. That's the funniest part of the of the little live riff bit that I sent to our our mutual manager. Uh, I saw a bit you did once. You're by the you're you're my favorite guest ever to have on things. You just always crush. Um, I saw you on. It might have been. Did we ever on Johnny with with Carson? Oh yeah, six times. Not that I'm counting. Well, it, then it with was Carson. Johnny, and I did one with Jay and then six with Johnny. 
until I was blacklisted. Yes. Well, with, that's a whole other chapter we will get to. Yeah. That, that yes. you know, I, I didn't know that you wanted to talk about your blacklisting. <laughs> I, I am so controversial, Rob. There's a lot of... I'm a recluse. I I'm a, I, I've been social distancing my whole life. This is nothing new to me. I love going to the Arclight Theater at 10 in the morning. I've been in theaters a lot alone. I saw 2001 alone at the at the amphitheater when it was reissued last year. But you like to go alone because you don't like to wear pants. <laughs> no, just no underwear. So but, tell me... T- Oh, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Carson. Is it, is that weird? I mean, he, now that is a, that is a great, a great rhythm to be in. I, I, I did this on the Conan Deep Dives, but these are, this is an example of something that means nothing to the universe, but just made me happy. And that was Johnny getting pulled over for drunk driving uh, in the 1970s. And it's all about where he was drinking and the name of the cocktail. Oh, amazing. Sorry, officer. I didn't know I was swerving. I had two slippery monkeys at the hook and crook. <laughs> so that's just too funny. <laughs> just uh, anyway. He could ahead. have actually had a drink at Alan Hale's Lobster Barrel. <laughs> Alan Hale from Gilligan's Island? Dude, did you not know that Al- this might have been before your time in L.A.? I remember being a kid when Definitely. I moved to L.A. And, you know, Gilligan's Island, we all grew up on. Oh, and yeah. I was going down La Cienega Boulevard, probably on one of my first auditions, riding the back of a bus. Mm-hmm. And I looked over, and there was this restaurant, and it's Alan Hale's Lobster Barrel. <laughs> and it was there for <laughs> years fantastic. in the 70s. Yeah. It just sounds hearty, like a lot of lobster. Because you think of barrels, you think of giant kegs, just huge barrels of lobsters. I was always yeah. really into the 70s. It's fun. Listen, you brought it up. You sent me on this tangent, so I blame you. If, if the listener doesn't like it, it's not me. I know it's my podcast. I put my name on it, but this is all Dana Carvey's fault. Yeah, if you don't want to go down the wormhole of celebrity 1970s Los Angeles restaurants, that's on you. But um, <laughs> do you want to go to uh, Carol O'Connor's The Ginger Man? That was one. That was a restaurant? Yes. Or a bakery. No, the irony was there was no gingerbread. Wow. At Carol O'Connor's Ginger Man. And it was in Beverly Hills. It was right in the heart of it. Like Alan Hill's really? Lobster Barrel at least was like on La Cienega. Wow, the worst investment you could make. No wonder O'Connor kept doing Archie Bunker. Well, my no. grandfather um, was in the restaurant business for 50 years and had a, it's now oh. a historical landmark in, in Sydney, Ohio called The Spot. And it's just wow. a burger joint. But um, he famously hmm. missed out on his buddy Dave Thomas's idea to do a, a restaurant chain called Wendy's. My, my grandpa missed the boat on Wendy's and we never let him what? forget it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but this is my favorite, though. Wow. He was going to make up for it with his next big idea, which was a uh, restaurant chain of Phyllis Diller's Chili. Right. Because, you know, when you think of Phyllis Diller. Yeah. You think of you her think Chili. Of chili. That's like Mickey Rooney had a lot of those. Mickey Rooney's macaroni, Mickey Rooney's, you know, Mickey Rooney was always trying to come up with names to franchise stuff. You worked with Mickey. Oh, yeah. The single craziest person I ever worked with. And oh, it was come my on, first, first job. I, well, 38 revolver, fully loaded. The script is caca. Come on. Yeah, yeah. He said, that when he walked around New York, it's 1981, they're not going to get me. I'm ready. Well, Mickey, I don't even know how to start. He was. I am obsessed with with Mickey Rooney. I, I mean, well, the guy's the biggest. You, people can't today cannot even imagine what a ginormous star 
he was yes. for, for so many years. And when I worked with him, he's probably 62. And he talked about that, how big he was in show business constantly. And it wasn't even a joke all the time. I was the number one star in the world. You hear me? Bang. The world. Which I did on Saturday Night Live once. And I didn't. I was working with Bonnie and Terry Turner, who helped write Wayne's World, great writers. Yep. And I just, I, every line I told them was what Mickey said to go in the sketch. And then years and years later, I'm hosting SNL and with John Mulaney and Bill Hader. They're young, you know, built, they were just kind of first couple years on SNL, fresh faced guys. And I go, well, what do you guys want to do? I mean, what do you like of what I did on the show? And they said, well, our favorite thing you ever did was Mickey Rooney. <laughs> I go, really? Well, any, yes, that was it. So you're telling me that all that great Mickey Rooney stuff you did was not you riffing. He actually said it to you. Oh, yeah. Judy Garland never owned a car. <laughs> Just non sequiturs. You'd be, you'd hear him down the hallway. How long's Robert Redford been in the business? Ten years. I've been in the business sixty-one years. You know, one of those guys where it's like six months less than what he was born. <laughs> I called the head of Warner Brothers. These are all quotes. In nineteen fifty-five, I said, "This is Mickey Rooney. I need a job." He hung up on me, and then he would just look off. But he had a thing. I don't know. If, you're, this is R-rated, right? But he, would, oh, yeah. he had an idea for a show where every character's name was a swear word, and he would act it out. Hello, Mrs. Funk. How are you, Mr. Shit? And he went off for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Here's our kid, son of a bitch, and fuck face is going to go over shit. It was just on and on. Hysterical. I'm just thinking, if, if anybody ever wanted to know what the demo of this podcast is, we've spent 10 minutes on Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day? Or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day. Or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. I, look, I love California, um, and I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and forget. Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. 
Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com slash Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. We've known each other for so long that I, and we've been mm-hmm. through so many different phases of each other's careers and people we, we know and all of mm-hmm. this stuff that, that yeah. there are stories in my mind that I'm going, is that true? Did that really happen? I need to ask Dana if it happened. Did you have a really intense experience with a poltergeist? Yes. In my neighborhood here at Montecito at the San Ysidro Ranch. Yes. Yeah. I always, when I, when I'm around Hollywood people and no one knows what to say, uh, I usually use that. I go, has anyone ever experienced anything supernatural besides meeting me? Uh, that's the <laughs> joke part, but, uh, but everybody kind of lights up a little bit and they think back, but this one was so bald face that my wife and I go to San Ysidro Ranch. We have dinner. We go in the room. Yeah, but the San Ysidro Ranch is, is, is literally a mile from my house in Montecito. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of from the 1920s or something. It had an old vibe. Very cool, but um, we're in a bungalow. So I, wait, I have a, what I thought was a waking dream state where I felt like something was pressing down on me. My wife's asleep. It's like 3 a.m., pressing down on me and I couldn't move. I was, which I found out later, a nightmare comes from the sense of a horse laying on top of you. Oh. Um, yeah. Fun fact, right? Wow. So I get up, I go to the bathroom, put some water on my face, whatever. Okay. That was just a waking dream state. So I get back into bed. I'm, I'm as awake in my mind today, right now, I'm as awake as I am right now. And then it starts again. And it's harder, and then it starts to throb on top of me. It's just and seems angry, and and I've never had any other experience like this. It's not like I'm a some kind of a nut job, but it's, it's weighing down on me. And so then I'm really flipped out. I get up, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" So I wake up my wife. Part of the reason we're still married. I said, "Honey, we have to go. It's three a.m. It's like four hundred a night those days." She goes, "Okay, <laughs> okay." That's that's an amazing wife. So then we went out and there was a the sky was lit up with thunder and lightning. And then we're driving back on the 101 back to Encino. And there's a dead, a giant possum, half dead, half alive. We're coming up on it on the freeway on its back. 
It had already been hit, but it was alive. So everything was spooky that night. Oh. And the only the only time I had a couple little ones was up in uh, Marin County. Our house was built in 1909. And there was a couple times, and I did not know about white noise or anything. It's just like I woke up. Um, my one son used to have nightmares a lot. So he's in with his brother and he had a little boom box in his room. And I woke up and I said, God, the radio is on. It's and it's between it's between uh, stations. What the fuck? It's 3 a.m. So by the time I got into the room, it had stopped. And that would happen to me once in a while. So all I got. What do you got? Well, that this is timeless stuff. Yeah, that's really, really, really hard to top. I mean, that's that's insane. But but that said, Mm -hmm. um, I have. So we've been sheltering here at the house for a while and everybody has been seeing um, a man walk up the steps. Okay, but it doesn't feel scary. Yeah, it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel. It's like you said. It felt angry. This feels actually comforting in a weird way. Hmm. And we're trying to figure out who or what it is. But every single person in the family has seen it. How old is the house? We built it. Hmm. Well, my Irish relatives with Irish accents, they just accept this in Ireland, and it's no big hmm. deal. And they're just like ghosts. They were just saying, yeah, in our house growing up, there was a mother and a daughter, and we'd see her once in a while. And it wasn't a big deal. You know, you just say to them, hello, how you doing? And then you go about <laughs> your business. That's all. The way. And with their accent, you just believe them totally. They're just like, no big deal. So yeah, I think there's... I think now, I mean, that we're, we're having fun. It's a podcast, getting to see you and talk to you again. But uh, you got a problem. <laughs> 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 I would get the fuck out of that wherever. I don't know who your contractor was. Well, did people independently, like, was it a chain? Like someone came in and said, I've seen this. And everyone said, me too. Or they started looking for it and then said they saw it. No, no, it was, it was, it was, I've seen it, me too. Everybody's had their own thing. And, and it's been completely, I mean, you have to understand though, that I, I and my boys did a show called The Low Files. Where, I know the show. I thought it was really cool. Thanks, man. To bring it back. Yeah. It was very Scooby-Doo. It was like Scooby-Doo meets Anthony yeah. Bourdain. Yeah. And and we um, we went to a very <laughs> n- known. <laughs> Sorry, I love that Scooby-Doo. Yeah, of course. Scooby-Doo. Hi, right? Anthony. How are you? Uh-huh. I'm Scooby-Doo. You must do a great Casey Kasem, by the way. I'm Casey Kasem. If there wasn't a me, there'd be a you doing me. I'm Casey Kasem. Another thing that our young demo is going to go, fuck yes. I just heard a podcast where they talked about Casey Kasem. Do you know what I like to do? To um, This is how you know you're getting older is like I take really good comfort in going to Sirius XM or whatever and listening to Casey Kasem count down the top songs from my childhood. It's unbelievably comforting. Yeah. Next is Chicago with whatever. The Captain and Tennille with Muskrat Love. have you ever that great that great audio of him losing his shit oh yeah i want to make one up for myself so it can exist in folklore you know yeah because like um batman that one adam west has Um, one too no the new one oh oh the new one yeah yeah oh yeah yeah that was christian bale christian bale right yeah losing his shit oh i don't like you why are you looking at me why do Australian actors have such great American accents like Russell Crowe and Chris? I mean, they're just they're pretty 
pretty good. Yeah, they, they um, and the Brits, the Brits too. Well, it's like it's like you said that um, when you when you speak in a certain type of accent, as Americans, we'll believe anything. Yes, yes. Like if if if, if, an, if a British accent is said to us in a specific way, we just believe it. That's why they get you know, like they come in and casting directors go, oh yeah, you can play like an American cannot play James Bond. Like that is not ever going to happen. Believe me, I've tried. They're not having it. It is like mm-hmm. the thought of it is a national yeah. disgrace. But yes. but Brit- Br- British people can play our presidents. I know. I love it. I like, I, like, I like all British accents. I like the Cockney accent. I like the upper class too. I mean, if I could talk like this, I would, if I could get away with it. Hello, Robert. Do you know um, Michael Caine is, you must do him. He's one of the great men of all time. And, and I've had amazing yes. conversations with him about, about acting oh, yeah. and things. He, He's like the, the wise, just like kind of has it all, all wrapped up. I, I made an I, I intentionally learned him because I love Steve Coogan's impression of yes. him so much. Yeah, yeah. So I usually don't try to learn people, but I literally recorded it and then I started doing it. And I, I realized the main thing is you got to go nasal. If you don't go nasal, you can't really do them. And he stutter steps down like he's walking down. The staircase and to the bottom. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to scare you, but I, I, I think I've got an idea for you in terms of your career. Uh, I did leave a, a message for J.J. Abrams as, as uh, Michael Caine. Did you know that? What, first of all, what prompted you to call J.J. Abrams as Michael Caine? Well, J.J. Abrams... Uh, and I uh, we just he liked me on Howard Stern. We met up a couple times and then we became uh, just sort of email buddies with Conan sometimes and my brother around our Beatle fanaticism. Mm. So we've really gotten to know each other talking about things like that. But at one point when I wor- learned Michael Caine, I wanted to record it for him. And then I just did this message it was sort of like, uh, uh, this is uh, JJ, this is Michael Caine. <laughs> I, I heard you're making one of those spaceship movies, and I'd like to put my hat in the ring. <laughs> I, I know I'm a bit long in the tooth, but maybe this old geezer's got one more lap around the truck. Well, if you feel me, call me up. Uh, I'll be here at one line four nine seven six, operator four nine or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so but yeah, I lo- love him. Yeah. Guy, you've met everybody. You're famous. I, no, it, it's but that's that's the beauty of like you know hanging around the business as long as we have like our heroes. We get to meet them, and oh, yeah. you know, I, one thing I that always continues to inspire me about doing what we get to do is that you know everyone is a fan of somebody's, no matter how famous you are, no matter how long you've been around, mm-hmm. no matter where you are in the business. Like there are still people that like get us excited and move us. And, you know, I know for you, it's probably the, the, the Beatles, right? I mean, they're, they're, you're a massive Beatles fan. Uh, yeah, there's lots of me. Um, I think what they achieved in those six, seven years could not be fathomed even by them. And I, I think that it took probably 30 or 40 years for it to start to percolate up as new generations went, who the fuck are these people? And I think now with XM Radio and the Beatles channel, it's kind of like their, their highest frequency maybe since they started. 
Um, I get, you know, in terms of comfort, well, I get real, you know, anxiety goes down. I get very relaxed with early Beatles, you know, no reply by John Lennon or, mm-hmm. or help or those early Beatles rockers where they were harmonizing and Paul and John were sort of sharing their songwriting, Hard Day's Night, Help. And then, of course, Revolver, I think, is might be their best album. So. I was at Lawrence with Paul. With Paul McCartney. We both had, I was too. At one, I had my Paul story too, but I want to hear yours. So my, my Paul story, and I, and I do what this year? in my one-man show, I tell this Paul story. Um, oh, I got to see your show too. It would... The year would have been, I'm going to say... In the 90s? Oh, no, 2003. Oh, okay. I'm going to say it's around... I'm going to say it's 2001. Well, maybe a little earlier, but but in the early, very early, 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 early 2000s. So it's very... It's it's Stella McCartney, who is a genius and just an amazing woman. And mm-hmm. just I just love her. Yeah. And um, my, my wife, Cheryl, and Lauren, and, and Allison Paul, and... and um, just Paul, Paul and Stella was the two of them. Yeah. And there's music playing in the background, very quiet lunch. And it very quietly in the background, suddenly it changes and it's a Beatles song. Mm. And I'm like uh. looking at Paul McCartney and I'm hearing the <laughs> Beatles song playing. And I'm, I'm wondering, is it like when I'm channel surfing and I come across a movie and I, I either maybe don't notice it or hate it or am embarrassed by it or think it's great or underappreciated or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm wondering what is it like to be Paul McCartney Mm-hmm. And hear his music in public all the time. Yeah. And as I'm thinking that, I look over and he's humming the words to himself. Ah. Uh. And and I hear him sing, So if you want some fun, take old bloody blah da. Oh, so, okay. And he so he looks up and he sees me that, that I've witnessed it, and then he gets like really embarrassed. And then I get embarrassed. I think it's really awkward, and neither one of us knows what to say. And then he's, and then he, after a long pause, he goes, "I don't even know what it meant, really." Take oh blah dee blah da. And his daughter turned to him and said, "Don't be an idiot, Dad. You meant take drugs." <laughs> I love the dad thing. Yeah, when I was hung out with him, we went over to his house, and uh, I guess his son James had a plastic sword, and he was up on a banister and he was going to drop it on his sister. And I'm just walking up with Paul McCartney and Paul goes, if you do that, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> Him as stern dad. Then he pointed to a piano and a guitar. This is in the inspirations. I mean, there's no way. I mean, he's carried the mantle so brilliantly. He's not gone crazy. He's a happy guy. And I think that his persona because I remember when I met Jimmy Stewart, I'll come back to this. <laughs> you know, I, I had I don't do this, but I was at an event and I had to go meet Jimmy Stewart. And I walked up to him and I started to talk and he just grabbed my hand and said, I know, I know, you know. <laughs> so with Paul, <laughs> yeah, he, he, cause he heard it so many times. I got to say what your movies meant to me. I, I know it's OK. Yeah. You know, I've heard it a lot. <laughs> you can go now. Yeah, no, I didn't say that. But with Paul, the um, the the funny thing was to me, which I don't normally tell this part of hanging out for four days with him and his wife, Linda, at the time at Lauren Michaels house. Never been around wealth. I'd gotten cast on Saturday Night Live. I didn't have any money. I was a stand up in shitbox clubs. I played a pizza parlor in July and then I'm <laughs> premiering on the show in October and I'm in like five things. I didn't even know I was in the cold opening. You know, I was just like they just threw you in. 
But Paul and Linda had met me. I'd never been on TV and they were just, my wife had stayed in LA. She had a really good job. Every show I'd ever done had been canceled. So she wasn't going to come out because I assume it would get canceled. But after an hour later, Linda and Paul come over to me. I just met them and I'm incredibly nervous. And they go, we think Paula should be here. We don't like, she, they remembered her name. We've Paul, we've, we don't think Paula should, she should be here with you. We don't think she should be in LA. Amazing. So then I know, and, and this is worth telling because of the flow we're in. But when I met him, I did have the presence of mind not to say anything about the Beatles. I brought up a song from a uh, tug of war from an album in 1981 that was really good. And, and George Martin produced it. And I just said in the chorus, one day we'll stand on top of the world with our flag unfurled, but, a, but it won't be soon enough for me. What were you thinking? And I really could tell that it affected him, you know, because he never heard that. And I always tell people, what do you say to a celebrity? I say, you find something really obscure that you truly love that probably they're never asked about because people who, oh, who wrote, Hey Jude, or what does let it be? Mean? <laughs> but then this, you know what I mean? So this came up and it was thing about a flag, you know, it's just all filled. So then that, he had an album out pressed to play. So I said, well, can you bring it tomorrow night? Cause he and Linda came over every night around 10 o'clock. So the next night they came in and they had the album, but they're kind of sheepish. <sighs> and I, Oh, you brought press <sighs> to play. Linda said to Paul, see, I told you he'd like it. <laughs> so they were having conversations about me. He's brushing his teeth. I don't know if I should. I don't know what Dane's going to think about it. You know, I mean, <laughs> so it's anyway, I find them absolutely fascinating. I find the relationship between John Lennon and Paul McCartney fascinating. Hearing it through their music. You write a song called Dear Prudence. Ringo's on hiatus. Paul plays a bass line from the heavens. And does the drums and then is harmonizing on your song. So I knew that they loved each other because you can't not. You write a song. Paul goes, how about this bass line? Fuck, that's the best bass line I've ever heard. I always tell people Paul was just the bass player of the Beatles. He would be irreplaceable. <laughs> just the bass player. So anyway, I, I find them fascinating. So we're, we have a little club Conan and we'll put you in the link if you want. We just we my brother finds obscure YouTube things about the Beatles and chord structures and all kinds of downtown stuff and we just fan up on it i love that one of my one of my questions i i ask people on the podcast um is is you know stones or beatles mm-hmm. and i'm i'm with you i i they're just and also the thing about mccartney and enough about that guy is just um he's you can't get more of of being on mount rushmore of legendary mm-hmm. status than Paul McCartney. You simply can't. It's it's not just no. that he's famous, because there's a lot of famous people today who've never accomplished one thing in their lives mm-hmm. that will ever be noteworthy. Yeah. But he, he what he's given to the culture alone, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it, it's it's beyond belief. And then when you meet him, as mm-hmm. you he's like the most regular, warm-hearted, charming. full of humility, charming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last party I was at sitting with Lorne. And we were talking about the proficiency of, of Paul as a melody writer, you know, and, and Lauren just said, oh, oh he's Mozart, <laughs> which I guess in, you know, in classical music is just like, how did he keep coming up with these melodies? You know, mm-hmm. so end of speech. Hope that trends. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be right back after this. 
Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires uh i need to hear about george bush mm-hmm. w w the son your w mm-hmm. w Sorry, HW. You did the, the H- dad. Let's yeah, just call him yeah. the dad. I get mixed up on initials, <laughs> Roman numerals. I'm I'm bad. Right. He's That's the dad. That's why they they went 41 for for the dad and 43 uh, for president. 41 and 40. 43. Yeah, that's another way to do it. That's how they do it. Their family. What's amazing about the elder Bush is there's something about him 
Well, you just captured him so perfectly, but but he's he's a fucking badass, dude. He bailed out of his plane in World War Two, stepped know. out on the wing and then survived on a I mean, but yet his affect is very sort of not you would never think of him as a tough guy ever. And he was. Yes. Yes, definitely. No one. No, you got to have sharp elbows to become president of the United States. No one waltzes in. But yeah, that World War Two generation, when you think about how much safety we've my generation to generally have. And, and uh, I had one brother who was drafted, but he, he was stationed in Germany, but I didn't go to Vietnam. And I think so, in some ways it's made us more afraid and less risk taking uh, as, as a culture because we've had so much safety until this pandemic, by the way. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. It's a little part yeah. of history. I, um, For sure. But my relationship with him, you know, the only reason it's interesting in 2020 where we find ourselves, which I think is still driven by technology in a certain way. I mean, if they'd had Twitter and Facebook and all these social media platforms in 1860, can you imagine the Confederates versus what would have been? Mm. But in those days, when I was real, I was really apolitical in the early 90s, in a sense. And so I wasn't out to get him or anything. I was just trying to find a funny rhythm. And I think he kind of sensed that, you know, and I finally did meet with him. He said, well, you never hit below the belt, never went downtown, kept it up in this area, never, never lower, never battering that area down there, but keeping it above the belt, boxing reference, low blow, got a point, deducted, it. you went up top, kept it on that belt area. Um, yeah, with him, you just keep going. There is no end to how many... <laughs> And I've said this many times, but I would do I do that to cover myself, not just as an affectation. Like right now, if there's any kind of performance or anxiety, I just go Rob Law podcast. Good friend. Funny out there doing his thing, doing television, movies, you comedian hiding in a room, safe Mike Zoom podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much. It's very comforting when you just you break down your life to that, you know. Do you go to the Lincoln bedroom? Is you, did you get to sleep there? Oh, yeah. After he lost the election, he was depressed, or they thought he was, but, you know, he wanted to, he was very into dignity in the office, so he called me up. He was like, well, why don't you come out to D.C., cheer up the troops? People are a little down, want to bring them up? And I was so shocked. I was talking to the president. This is December. I, I literally said to him, well, where would I stay? <laughs> Just that, you know, <laughs> he thought I was negotiating. Well, he paused. He goes, well, stay right here in the White House with Barr and I. So two weeks later, we're in the Lincoln bedroom, my wife and I. Oh, yeah. man, that's so cool. And we hung out with him for like kind of like two and a half days. We would have dinners with them. We took walks with them. Um, we went to the Kennedy Center with them, and they it was Kenny Center honorees. We we're in the presidential box with them, yep. and it was everyone going through Ginger Rogers, whatever, getting their awards. And then at the end, well, the newsman of the day, folks, Walter Cronkite, turned up to the box and said, "And now a salute to President George Herbert Walker Bush for 50 years of service to America." So the whole audience stands up and gives us a standing ovation. I'm next to the president, and I, you know, I. A bit of a ham, so I kind of thought, well, maybe, maybe a bit of it's for me. Well, <laughs> but anyway, so just a tiny. But so then, 
I see he's getting emotional with the Secret Service takes us out. Suddenly we're in an elevator with Barbara Bush, George Bush, my wife and I, and he's just streaming tears down his face, not sobbing, but just really emotional. Mm. And I thought, really? My life has been like this. I don't know if you have moments where you go, what the fuck am I doing here? It's like when I did the last movie that Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas did. I'm like, and even being on Saturday Night Live, what? I'm on Saturday Night Live? That's not possible. So this was the same kind of moment. And, you know, we we kept in touch. We did gigs together. He loved, we did charity events. He loved me doing Ross Perot. That, that was his favorite. Called him an honorary little shit. <laughs> <laughs> can't finish one time, can't finish one time. So I would do that for him. And I, I went to visit him a, a lot. I was in Houston. They would come visit me in the hotel. The Secret Service would sweep the room. They would come in and there'd be uh, red wine. And the, uh, George Sr. would say, he was, he's just a, well, a little bit of wine. So I was a waiter at one point at the Holiday Inn. So I was opening it up and pouring, easy, easy, not too much, got to work, you know. <laughs> and then Barbara Bush goes, you know, George always loved Impressionists and he always fancied himself an Impressionist, didn't you, George? So then George does a pretty good James Cagney and Henry Fonda. Not bad. So that was another one. Anyway, I could go on, but we became good friends. My impressions are, are are either okay or bad. When I do my Paul, I did I do the Paul McCartney thing, and it's not when I do my one man show, and it's not to do the impression because it's not that good. It's just to tell the story. I don't even know what it meant, really. <laughs> well, here's my my theory on that: like real impressionists, like Frank Caliendo, mm-hmm. that do certain things. He does Morgan Freeman, like really, it's beyond an impression. I mean, it's not even right. It is just, it's your impression of the guy. I mean, it, it can be really loosely jointed. Mm-hmm. I could teach you how to do it. Everything's a question. Did you go to the store? Yeah, I went to the store. You just go up. Yeah, You did go to, know what I it meant, to the store. Really. I didn't know what it meant. Well, what would be a line you'd need in your one-man show? And I'll just give you the line. Yeah, because no, I can do line reading. All my directors have to come on the set and just say, shut, shut up, low. <laughs> say the line like this. And I say, well, say it for me. I used to do this with Aaron Sorkin on the West Wing. I'd say, yeah. Aaron, just say it for me. And he'd say it, and I'd just say it like that, and that was the end well, of it. Well, I, so I here's the line. Especially a writer like that. Yeah, you're the writer. Yeah. You hear it. So tell me. I'd do that. Yeah. Um, here's the line I need for the one-man show. Um, okay. I, d- I don't even know what I meant. Uh, take oblah-dee-blah-da. Well, I, didn't, I don't even know what I meant. Take oblah-dee-blah-da. It's just you're very. It's almost like it's just discovered a cave with a pirate in it. I don't, I don't even know what I meant. I don't know what you mean by old people. And look, there's a pirates in a cave. Everything's a little a bit cave. like that. A cave. It extends. I didn't even know what I meant. I didn't. Old bloody la da. Could have been discovered anything. a cave. Discovered a cave. It's like a pirate in a cave. He's got his drawers down. His old bloody la dolls are just all over the place. You know, you got to cover them up with a scuba. You can make up words to him. He gets a scuba, a hula clamp on his private area, you know, and his bottom blonger, you know, and he went wiggly wiggly with his dirty dudes, you know. Lots of them, they were, they were flobbing in the flipses, you know. They had just met a moment before, and all of a sudden it's all this wiggly wiggly, right? And I was like, hold on, hold on, you know. I don't know what I'm doing, and from probably from a hard day's night or something, I don't know. But yeah, you could do that. Just seen a pirate in a cave. 
I had a flashback. You got that look in your eye. See, I, I could see you. He's got the Dana Carvey glint where you know you're fucking going down. Uh, I, that, yeah. Uh, I was kind of trained to kill because I came from rough and tumble stand up. And I didn't even know I was actually a sketch player there. I didn't have groundlings in San Francisco. So with stand up, it's a dog eat dog. You know, you're following a super blue, loud, the audience is drunk and show us your dick. This guy's not fucked up. You know, this guy, this guy was so hung. He was like a human tripod and he's just killing. So to survive in the clubs, you had to, you had to kill. So when I got on SNL, I'd never done sketch comedy. In fact, the very first sketch I did when I had to stop myself when the audience would laugh to look at the audience, I had to look at the other person. You know, I'd never done sketch. So how what, what do you remember your audition for uh, SNL? I had two. I had one where Lorne Michaels saw me do stand up at a little hundred seater on the west side that uh, Rosie O'Donnell was playing this little club called Igby's. And I knew that I bombed so many times, three times I auditioned for SNL at the comedy store. I followed Kennison's the ultimate killer stand up, maybe the greatest of all time. He's in the conversation in his prime. Mm. I followed him at midnight with no MC in between. Just he levitated oh. the room. And then it's, and now Dana, they never got my name right. Dana Garno. And I went up, played to dead silence. And so when it came <laughs> around again and Lauren Michaels was in town, I said, let me let him see me at Igby's because it was a real like tight little club. Wasn't a show business club. So Rosie O'Donnell said, OK, make room. And so we were talking who will go on first. And I I'd never met Rosie, but she even then she just seemed like incredibly confident. So I said, maybe I'll open, you know, but I got to do 40 minutes instead of five. Mm. So and I was in pretty good shape. But Lauren, right as I went on, I saw Lauren Michaels come in to the room with Brandon Tartikoff, the head of the network, NBC at the time. And then to top it off was Cher. So the three, oh. the trio sat down and <laughs> there was a tiny room. I could see their faces. And now, Dennis, come on, well, we'll come up and entertain you. <laughs> and I, that was my first audition. And then I did one where you just stood in front of Lauren and like Nora Dunn and Dennis Miller and two other people. And that one was, I, I guess I, yeah, Jim Carrey went in. And put his foot, he put his foot behind his neck and danced. I go, he's that one. They, I was like, well, hire him. What are you crazy? You know, but I did, I, I did get it. But probably from a combination of the two. You know, Dana, I don't think that people should use their bodies for laughs. I think it's cheap. <laughs> uh, Dana, uh, we've seen the, the chopping broccoli thing. You, could you play anything else? Was he, he, he would kind of push you a little bit. <laughs> Do you have a phrase that you've, thought of like a, a, a wisdom, like a, a Rob Lowe wisdom that you think is your own, but you're not sure. Because I have two of them. Here, I can give you an example of mine. Yeah, please. Uh, it would be like um, children give more than they take and they take everything. <laughs> and that's that really you're, good. Your peace of mind because you're tethered by a, a string. What if? I didn't see that one coming. That's a really good one. And the near greats rule the world. Ooh. Is that mine? The near greats greats rule the world. Because I had to figure out how people, because I always thought the funniest or the most talented or the best would then be 
the richest and most successful in show business. But then I just saw, and I mean it politically in all kinds of ways. You know, imagine the people would run for office if it wasn't they destroy your family. All across mm-hmm. the board, you know, how people intersect and stuff. So I just sort of, That's- as I looked at it, I thought, well, the near greats rule the world. So if you're really, if you're great, it's almost a handicap. <laughs> yeah, because being great always means being ahead of your time. Yeah. By definition, to be great, you need to be ahead of your time. And and to 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 be oh, accepted, right? And to be accepted yeah. by the masses, you can't put most people out of their own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that this it's it's become different. When I came through, you know, it was just Kevin Neal and I were all, uh, offered a Hans and Franz commercial for Nike. We were going to do the actual first campaign of Just Do It. <sighs> so it was Just Do It, you know that kind of thing. Right. And Lauren called me up and Lauren changed too. But he said, oh, I just don't think it's what we do. It's not, it's not part of our, you know. And then 10 years later, we had Conehead oven mitts in the SNL merchandising store, which I get it, you know. Um, I turned down a lot of commercials, a lot of things. You know, I was thinking more like I'm Bob Dylan or something. Um, I mean, I'm fine financially, but it is funny how it, it shifted to um, – branding came up and then leveraging your brand, keeping your brand out there, being treating yourself in a good way as a product yep. and a brand and then leveraging it monetarily, asymmetrically, wherever you can. I think it's a more honest way to do it. Uh, so, but it did shift from, I was still kind of from the sixties in some, some fashion, you know? Yeah. You can't, you can't picture George Carlin d- yeah. accepting <laughs> In an, an endorsement deal, but it's it's really, really, I've, you know, like you, I've seen the business change and the way people are perceived. I remember when um, it was beneath a movie star to do any publicity. Yeah. Beneath them. Yeah. Yeah. You were just like uh, when I the other day I was just happened upon a Gene Hackman story and I thought, OK, there was a guy who just was in the movies, <laughs> I think pretty much all the way through. And you just never saw him anyplace else. So there was that mystique uh, to it. But now uh, it just changed. I don't think, I, I think maybe it's better. I don't have anything negative to say about it. I think it's more freeing though. Yeah, I think it's better now. Yeah. It's more freeing. I mean, listen, we live in a world where when you win an Academy Award, the next move is you are now the next person in a Marvel franchise. That's what it is. Yes. And- and or you win an Academy Award and you you now are the face of Chanel. Yeah. And it's, it's totally- what it is. That's that's the world we live in. And it's it's not it's just it's not good. It's not bad. It's just different. And so that would have been unthinkable. Um, there's no way Dustin Hoffman wins the Oscar for Tootsie and then does a car <laughs> commercial. It's not happening. It's not no. going to happen. I think it's more honest. Yeah. And, and it's like it's all good. It's more honest in a way, because if you're in on the fence about doing a movie because you're not so sure the script is right and you're maybe not so sure about the director, but it's good money and maybe there's a co-star or someone in it that you kind of like, that the, the commercial is just the commercial. Like, it's not your work, you know? Even Paul Newman did a Super Bowl commercial on a little motorcycle. Then it became Vogue. That was the first breaking of the ice. Just do a Super Bowl, Super Bowl commercial, which I got a couple of those with Lovitz. <laughs> Ah, uh, Johnny Lovitz. Johnny I mean, Lovitz. Can I tell you one funny story? He'll listen to this, but he'll he'll laugh. 
So we're doing a Super Bowl commercial. We're in Miami. We have we have 51 second shots. We go into a trailer. They have 200 Hawaiian shirts. We're both going to be in Hawaiian shirts. I mean, 100, 200 Hawaiian shirts. And they're all one size fits all. They're kind of baggy. And so I go in, I get a Hawaiian shirt and I come out and I'm sitting there waiting for John. We're in bleachers. We're in some football stadium. One second shot. John's in there like a half hour, 45 minutes ago. Get John. What's he doing? He comes out. He's got no Hawaiian shirt on. He points at mine. He says, can I wear that one? (laughs) John, there's a hundred shirts. I like that one. That was, that was, that really made me laugh. He'll hear this and go that. Well, he knows it's true. How would um how would Paul McCartney wrap this podcast up? Well, you know, we went to you know, we went downtown a bit. You know, we went back in time in a little time machine. We got Mickey Rooney, Johnny Carlson. And people, you know, if you're younger, if you're from a younger generation, you know, you can look it up on Wikipedia. You know, it's like a encyclopedia that, you know, people can add things to. And then, you know, they talked about the near greats rule the world and this and that, and they went round and round. You know, Dana got scared by a ghost. He was got a ghost <laughs> on top of him. That was more riveting than anything else in the whole podcast. <laughs> so there it was, flashbar. You could watch it in pieces. You know, they didn't. We're trying to save the world. Doctor Fauci and, and Doctor Burke. So they're, they're the real superstars. But just people, <laughs> people on Zoom talking about nothing, just rapping about nothing. Oh, they seem spaced out at least half the time, looking for something to go to. But it's all right. It's all right. They're not scientists trying to come up with a vaccine. But two, two people in show business going, how are you? Well, how are you? What'd you turn down? I turned down this. You knew him? I did too. That's all it was. That's all it was. All right. Well, I'll see you farewell. So long, whatever they say over there. No. I'm going to go cash, cash in. That's a bit of a... That's a bit. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, That's it. The, I'm I'm back to you with your hand in Wayne's World basement. Same thing. Fucking goddamn you. You made my hand sweat. That's right. I remember this now. My you are the only person who can make me laugh till my hands sweat. Jeez, that's interesting. Wow. That's yeah. your that that's your near greats rule of the world. Hmm. All right. All right. I love you, Carv. I love you. We'll talk soon. For sure. Leave meeting. All right, I'm going to try to do what I learned. Well, now it's over. It's all over now. Now, it sounds, ah, God damn it. I had it. When Dana was talking to me about it, I had it. Well, I want to thank my guest, Dana Carvey. No, that sounds like a valley girl. That's a disaster. Anyway, I want to thank Dana Carvey. He was amazing, as always. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I do. Or you guy. Or you girl. Because I don't think you're like putting this on a speaker and sharing it in front of a group of people. You're like in your car somewhere or wherever you are. Uh, anyway, this has been great. Thanks for listening. We got more to come. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been... 
a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.